Y'all can find your seats, and we're going to continue with the Word of God this morning. If you're new here, just want to say thank you for joining us this morning. There's lots of great churches in this area. We believe God has brought you here. If you're online or maybe uh, you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, if you would do us a favor, if you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, give the video a thumbs up, comment on it, or share it. That helps other people find it. It helps all the algorithm stuff. We want to get the Word of God out of this place into the world that needs it the most. If you have Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 24. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a, a skipping uh, the Masterclass series because today's topic would have been divorce and remarriage, which I thought was completely inappropriate to a bunch of high school graduates. So I thought, hey, I could twist it around and say, hey, listen, after you graduate, the most important decision in your life is who you're going to marry, and this is where it could go to. And so I was trying not to stretch that too much. So in Joshua chapter 24. Uh, there's a term that's called the butterfly effect. If you've read any books on psychology or maybe you're in social work or, or sociology, maybe you've heard of this in chaos theory. And the theory is this. It started with a guy years ago who said, if a butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil, it can cause a hurricane in Florida. And what he was trying to say is that the environment is so sensitive and everything's so interconnected that if one thing changes, it causes something else. And it can cause this ripple effect that something very small can bring dramatic, large differences later on. And so they took this meteorological concept and they brought it into psychology and talked about how one minor decision can impact in a lifetime of experiences. And I, I think that's true when you start talking about high school graduates or college graduates, how one decision now can affect things so much later down the road, especially when you start thinking about, you know, the future. It, it, it can cause anxiety and stress to think about, you know, who am I going to marry? What job am I going to get? What degree? What am I going to major in? What college am I going to go to? What career am I going to choose? Where am I going to live? And you start having all these questions. And if all these decisions can impact my life for long term, it can cause this anxiety and cause paralysis. And then you just make decisions by default. And worse than that, when you go to high school, you have classes on chemistry and biology and physical education and strength and conditioning, but they don't give us classes on decision-making. Like, they don't teach us how to make decisions well, even though in college there are courses on decision-making. We learn things in high school that actually don't apply to your life. I know people say, listen, you'll use trig at some point in your life. No, sir, I have not. You'll use, no, I will not. You know what I do use? In seventh grade, we took a class. Our football coach taught a class on how to balance your checkbook. I still use that. You know what they teach kids today? Gender confusion. Like you, you don't know what you can't do. You can't balance your checkbook. You don't know what biology you are. Like you don't know anything. And, and so schools are detrimenting and the parents are busy. But decisions carry all this weight. And so if we're going to be the salt of the earth, if we're going to be the people that make an impact, we need to make good decisions that may actually cause positive change rather than negative consequences. And so we have to learn how to make decisions and make them well. And in Joshua chapter 24, there's this incredible scripture most of us have heard, but I don't think we really did tie it together. It says this starting in verse 14. This is Joshua speaking to the Israelites before they cross over into the promised land that they've been waiting 40 years for. He says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil, everybody say evil. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve 
whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's interesting. There's a decision that must be made. And Joshua is, is getting these Israelites before they have to make the decision to make the decision ahead of time. He says, if it's going to seem evil to you, choose today. And, and so what's happening is the Israelites were much like many of these, these graduates. They're in a transition period. The Israelites had been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Before that, they were 400 years in, in slavery and captivity and bondage in Egypt. And now they're about to cross over from a land of, of curse a land of confusion into a land of blessing. And so it's this transition period, many times that is where decisions become more important that you're in between one season and the next season, in between one phase and the next phase, in between one prayer and the next answer. And that's where all four million plus Israelites were. They're in this transition between what's behind them and what's ahead of them. Now, the beautiful thing is that what's ahead of them is the blessings of God, the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey, the land that's their own land, the land they're going to create their own nation, their own kingdom. They're going to populate the earth and advance the kingdom through this new promised land. But Joshua knew what many of us so easily forget, that it is much easier to serve God in the confusion of your wilderness seasons it's much easier to serve God in the bondage and captivity that you found yourself in than it is in the land of blessing. I think one of the downfalls to America is that we're so blessed, we don't serve God, we serve our blessings. See, in seasons of struggle and seasons of wilderness times, it, it compels you, it pushes you towards a heavenly Father who can take care of you and protect you and cherish you and lead you and guide you and take care of you. But in seasons of blessings, you're drawn more towards the giver of the, uh, the, the blessings than you are the giver of the blessings. And in these seasons, all these graduates are in this transition. And he says, if you choose today whom you will serve, it doesn't matter if blessings come or cursings come, confusion comes, wilderness comes. If you choose today, I'm going to serve him. It doesn't matter what season you're in. And that's the power that Joshua is trying to communicate to these four million people. You're going into a land of blessing. You're going to a land of promises. You're going to a land of prosperity. So you need to choose today whom you serve will serve. And he says this word. He says, if it seems evil to you, look at your neighbor and say evil. He says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Now, that's an interesting term for the leader of the Israelites to say, if serving God seems evil to you. Like, I, I've served God for almost 20 years now. I don't think it's ever seemed evil to me. Like, I never came to church like, this just seems evil. Like, worshiping Jesus seems evil. Read my Bible seems evil. Serving people seems evil. Serving the, the homeless, serving the hungry, it just seems evil. Serving people in Haiti, that just seems evil. Serving kids and kids, that just seems evil. I've never woke up and said, man, it just seems evil to serve God. And when you dig down in the meaning of that word, it's not just evil, it actually means displeasing. So you could have been saying, when it seems displeasing to you to serve God, maybe you need to choose today because there will come a time, I promise to all of us in this room, that it will seem displeasing. 
where you want to lay in bed instead of worship Jesus, where you want to keep your money instead of offer tithes and offerings, where you want to serve yourself instead of serving other people, where there become a time where it seems like it's not beneficial to you anymore to serve God and it becomes displeasing to you. Joshua's saying there's going to come a time when it seems like it's not to your benefit anymore to serve him, and I'm telling you to choose now that you'll serve him anyway. See, there's coming a time that in Christianity for years and for generations, it was pleasing to people to serve God. There was a cultural benefit that if you serve God, it helped you get a job because somebody at the church probably had a job to offer. It was pleasing to you because there's people in the church that were in the social elites. And so it gave you cultural clout. There was a season in which everything flowed through the church socially and culturally. So it was a benefit. But there's a time coming where the separation between the church and culture is so wide that it's no longer going to serve your best interest to serve God. See, there's coming a time when it will be socially unacceptable to serve Jehovah Jireh. And we're already seeing it where people say that you're going the wrong direction. You're hateful if you serve God and you actually believe his word. There's coming a day when it seems culturally insensitive to serve a God rather than to take care and just do what you want to do. There's coming a day when it seems politically disruptive to serve God. See, there's this chasm that's growing. And Joshua says there's coming a day that it's going to seem displeasing to serve God. I would say we're probably already in it. I would say if you posted something that's completely biblical, that's God-centered, not man-centered, if you post it on your social media platform, people will attack you for being insensitive. People will attack you for actually being hateful. And what they're saying is, it seems evil to serve God. And Joshua says, if it seems evil to you, choose this day whom you'll serve. And that word serve is not in just a, a slavery mindset. It actually has the term worship in it. So he's saying, if it seems evil to you or displeasing at some point, go ahead and choose today that you're going to worship him rather than the voices that are out there. Because I'll tell you, if you listen to the voices of the fans, at some point you'll be sitting on the bench. And the fans are the cultural commentators. It's the lukewarm Christians. It's the backslidden people. It's the atheist agnostic. It's the people out there. They're trying to convince you that it's evil to worship God. And Joshua says, then choose today whom you're going to serve. You can either serve yourself and your pleasures and your comforts, or you can choose to serve the God who brought you out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promise. He says, choose today whom you will serve. I think what Joshua was trying to do was to rally the true worshipers. To say, it's easy to worship God when you're in Egypt and you're crying out to be delivered. It's easy to worship God when he's feeding you manna from heaven and water from a rock and delivering you and guiding you around the wilderness to take you into the promised land. It's easy to worship on this side of the river, but when you get to the land of blessing, that's when true worship gets. The greatest sign of maturity is how you handle the blessings of God. Do you handle that? Jesus said this with the 10 lepers. He heals them. Only one turns back and says, thank you. The other walk off to go enjoy their blessings. A true maturity is when God blesses you, it compels you to greater worship, to greater service, to greater sacrifice, to greater love, to greater gratitude, rather than saying, thanks. I'll see you when I need you again. And that's what Josh was trying to stir up here. Choose today who you will become tomorrow. Touch your neighbor and say, choose the day. Then touch your other neighbor and say, who you're going to become. 
Now flip back and get your head dizzy and say who who you're going to become tomorrow. See, what you choose today will determine who you become tomorrow. The decisions you make today will define your tomorrow. See, first you make your decisions, then your decisions make you. And Joshua's trying to tell the people, choose today that you're going to be a worshiper regardless of what it feels like, so that way tomorrow you can hold on to the land of blessings. See, it's easy to get a blessing. It's hard to maintain one. And Joshua says, God is giving us this blessing, and I want to challenge you to understand the decisions you're going to make with these blessings will determine if you keep them or not. It will determine who you become or not. And I think the power in this is a principle that I've applied since I've gotten saved and and read this chapter, is this. There is power in predetermined decisions. There is power in making a decision ahead of time before you need to make the decision. If you make the decision before you need to make the decision, it cuts out all the drama, stress, and anxiety. And so that's what I think Josh is saying, choose today so that way you don't have to make it when it seems displeasing. Choose today so that way you don't have to make it when it seems evil. Choose today so that way you don't have to make it when there's enemies surrounding you. Choose today so that way you don't have to wait till you go through issues or stress or anxiety. Choose today. See, there's decisions you can make today that once you make them, you never have to make them again. And if you make them today, you don't have to deal with the anxiety of your emotions that come upon you when you're making a difficult decision. When you choose today, you can choose them with your values instead of your emotions. When you choose them today, you make them without the social peer pressure of culture telling you what you should decide. If you make them today, there's power. It relieves you of stress in the back end, but it gives you a confidence on the front end. Just for the choose today, who you'll become tomorrow. And I think that all of us in this room, there's some decisions we can make today that will relieve us of stress in the future. There's decisions we can make today that will relieve us of negative consequences in the future. And I think there's power in that. That if you say, you know what, this is the decision I'm making right now. God has told me what I'm called to do. I'm not going to do anything outside of that calling. My pastor, if y'all don't know the story, he committed murder. He was in prison. He gets out of prison. And he's called to ministry. And, and Pastor Jadon George, his pastor, said, well, you probably need to get a, a diesel mechanic certificate or something because you, you need a side gig because you may not make it in ministry. He said, no, no, sir, I am called to preach the gospel. I don't want a fallback plan. I don't want a secondary plan. I am going all into. He had made a predetermined decision that regardless of hell or high water, this is what I'm called to do. I've made predetermined decisions. I'm never going to drink a drink of alcohol. Made it already. So that way, if there's pressure, I don't have to think about it. I've already made the decision. Plus, Toy would kill me if I made it. We were in Haiti a couple years ago, and uh, Ben Tate just graduated, and he was with us. And we had a whole group in Haiti, and we're at this church, and they're doing communion. So communion theology can get very complicated. For some denominations, the elements actually become the body or the blood of Jesus. And they pass out this communion. It's like stale loaves of bread and this juice, which actually was wine. And they're passing it out. I get mine. I smell it. I'm like, this is, this is real wine. And one of the kids in the back who has this really country twang, she's like, it smells like alcohol. I was like, we are the most Alabama redneck people. This Haiti's ever, Haiti will never be the same. 
So Toy's like, I'm not drinking it. I'm like, but you have to drink it. Like, it, it, you know, it could be. They made me think this is, you know, actually the blood of Jesus. You can't waste it. Like, she's like, I'm not drinking it. I'm like, so I take communion, and she's judging me for taking communion, which is the first time in history someone's judged someone for taking communion. <laughs> and we take it, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's not only just wine. It's like the worst wine ever created. So that night we debrief every night after our, our missions day, and we're going around, and Ben, who's extremely quiet, he gets to him, and he's like, well, you know, I never thought that my first trip to Haiti I get my first drink of alcohol. <laughs> it's, I've made the decision, Toys made the decision, I'm not gonna have to drink. There's the decision, I'm not gonna cheat on my wife. I've already made that decision. So if I'm in a situation where it feels uncomfortable, I'll remove myself from the situation because I've already made the decision. I've already made the decision to give my offerings, my first 10% to God. I never have to think about that decision again. There's things I've made decisions about ahead of time that when it becomes uncomfortable or displeasing, I don't have to make the decision again. And I think that's what Joshua is saying is that there's going to come a time where some of these decisions may seem displeasing to you. But if you make the decision now what you're going to choose, you don't have to worry about it when you get there. So I just want to give you six quick decision-making tips, what I call the, the art of decision-making. Now, it's not like complete, you know, a 501 course. It's like an entry-level 101 course on decision-making because I believe God's people are called to make God decisions. And we've made cultural decisions for way too long. And so here are some of those decisions. One, look beyond the moment to where the decision is going to take you. So when you're faced with the decision, Joshua's standing here on the, on the river, the Jordan River, looking over the promised land. And he's telling, choose today whom you will serve. He's saying, look into the future. Where is this decision going to take you? If you choose to serve God, even if it seems displeasing, it's going to continue to take you into the promised land into God's blessings. But if you choose to turn away from God, it's going to take you right back into captivity, into the same bondage you came out of. He's saying, look into the future. And see, I think one of the signs of immaturity for, for young people especially is they only make decisions with looking at the immediate gratification of it. I heard a country music singer say, they don't look past Friday night. So when a teenager is making a decision, it's what are we going to do Friday night? We're going to have fun Friday night. We're going to do this Friday night. They don't think about how Friday night may affect next month, next year, 10 years down the road. While maturity comes in or wisdom comes in, wisdom says when I make the decision, how is this going to affect every other decision? Some of the wisest people I know. When they look at a decision, they see that decision, but they see the ripple effects of that decision in the negative direction and the positive direction before they actually make that decision. And so when you're faced with decisions, ask yourself, where is this decision going to take me? And there's a principle I, I love called the paradox principle. I won't get into too much detail, but it says this. The paradox principle means easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences. But difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. What that means is this. The easier the decision is, many times the more difficult the consequences tend to be. But it's easy for me, I was joking with the staff, I've been trying to watch my weight and all this stuff. Usually about 209 in the morning, if I weigh 209, I stop at the donut shop and I get me three cake donuts with chocolate frosting. If I weigh more than 209, I bypass the donut shop. Well, Friday, I was going to the dump. I stopped at the gas station. They have what I would call, I think if there was manna in Alabama, this would be the manna. 
the jalapeno cheddar corn dogs at the Shell Station. It's my weakness. And fudge rounds and zinger cakes. I said, you know, I've been working all morning. I deserve two of those jalapeno hot dogs, a fudge round, and a zinger cake. I ate them. Ate them all. I got on the scale this morning, and I was seven pounds more than I was the day before. Easy, short-term choices lead to difficult, long-term... I have to eat salad for the next two weeks. It is easy to swipe the credit card now, but it comes with 23.6% interest later. It seems easy to fall into passion with someone of the opposite sex, but it leads to long-term consequences of divorce and all the things that come up. It's easy to drink a little too much on Friday night and think, well, I'm just a little buzz and drive home, but it leads to long-term difficult consequences. But on the other side, difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. We call that wisdom. When I make a difficult decision today that leads to a better tomorrow, and I think when you begin to look at yourself, if you can imagine yourself when you make this decision, these decisions, if you can say, what am I going to look like in the next year or five years after I make this decision? Like if you're making decisions about college, in five years, what's this going to look like? In 10 years, what's this going to look like? See, decisions have the butterfly effect to cause this ripple effect throughout your life. And so you have to view yourself in the future while you're making the decision. Would your future self thank you for this or would your future self cuss you out for this? And number two would be identify your values and stay true to them. Like what are your values? Joshua trying to say, listen, we were brought out of captivity. We have this gratitude as a value for us. We, we've been delivered, we've been led, we've been guided. There's these values, and values are the guardrails for your decision-making. They should be the guardrails for your life. They should be the North Star, that these things are what I'm guided by in my life. And you can tell the difference between leaders that are value-driven or success-driven. See, people who are success-driven will violate their values for quick success, but value-driven value people will sacrifice short-term success to protect their values. And you can sleep at night when your values are leading you. Sometimes it's hard to sleep when you have success, but your values have been violated. And so your values are, are these north stars in your life that guide you and lead you. When things get complicated, when things get stressful, you can see these values and then move you beyond where you're at to where God wants you to be. And so you have to identify your values and know but they are. One person recognize that decision-making is value clarification. People will tell me what they believe. Well, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's Lord and Savior. But your decisions prove otherwise. So you could say one thing, but your decisions actually reveal what your true values are. Whether that's politically, whether that's socially, whether that's your relationships, whether that's scripturally, your values actually display to everybody else what are your true values. And so young people, you have to identify what your values are. And until you do that, you have the benefit, you have the blessing that you've been brought up in a church, you have families that have values. Use their values until you know what yours are. Well, how will I know that? I think there's two ways to determine your values. One is kind of your peak experiences in life. Moments in life where there were just moments that are mile marker moments for you. And what were the values that were being celebrated or experienced in those moments will tell you what a value is. Like, like for me, it's 
there's values of family, there's values of, of the word, there's values of the Holy Spirit, there's values of God's church, there's values of health. There's all these values, but I learned those at these pinnacle moments of life where God moved in my life and there was this value that was clearly evident. But the other way is when you have holy frustration. Holy frustration is when you start getting irritable or irritated or angry at something that's happening and you can't explain it. And I explained it like this, is that what is happening is somebody starting to step on a value of yours that you didn't know you had. And you get irritated and frustrated. And what it is, is somebody's taking a value of yours and are either rumbling it up and throwing away or they're stepping on it. And God is trying to reveal to you that that's a value of yours. So mine is, I have a high value for integrity. High. I'd rather be somebody be, be transparent and be wrong than be covering up and be real. That's just me personally. And there's a situation, I won't go into details, we were on a, a church staff. There's a situation with a moral failure with our lead pastor and the denominational leader came in and he tried to lie. He tried to lie and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a truth guy. Like you kid, I'm not gonna lie for nobody. If Toya killed somebody, tell me not to tell anybody, I'm telling y'all in the next week. My sermon would be like, she killed somebody, don't tell her. And so we're in this meeting and this denominational leader is trying to say, well, you know, he just needed a break and, you know, da, da, da. And I pushed back. I said, man, we've all seen things for like the last six months. Like we all have seen something. This guy pushes back from the table and says, well, we've, we know it's been at least going on for at least six months. I was like, you tried to tell us it was just a one-time thing. And you're telling me now it's a consistent behavior. And so what is happening is a value of mine was being betrayed I was getting irritated, and what I learned was, this is a dear core value of mine. Also, I'm a, I have a value to protect the underdog. People that are down and out, I have a heart to protect them, to take care of them, to love on them. And it started in the seventh grade. There was a kid, little bitty kid named Alex. Alex getting kind of pushed around on by this bully in class. I walked up to this bully named Billy. Billy was big. He's one of those kids that hit puberty in like the third grade. I'm still scrawny, and I walk up, but I, I fought a bunch. I'm like, man, he can't pick on Alex. I walk up and still say, hey, man, don't pick on Alex. He said, what you going to do about it? I remember I threw the heaviest right hand I had. I mean, I threw this, and I hit him. He landed on his neck. He just looked at me. He began to throw me on the ground and beat me to a pulp, stomped on my head. My nose is broke, and I realized today, one, Alex was a black belt in taekwondo I didn't know about. He didn't seem to help me. He didn't have that same value for me. But for me, that's stuck. I have a value for people. Whoever it may be, when they're down and out, I feel like it's my job to protect them, to take care of them, to love them. And so for you, what are some of those moments in life that are peak moments that, that God was trying to show you this is a value or moments you are frustrated or irritable because there was a, a violation of a value. You have to identify your values. Let them be the guardrails for your decision making. But number three, it would be seek God in his wisdom. Seek God and his wisdom. I think one of the, the downsides of, of Christianity today is that we'd rather seek God to relieve us of the consequences of our decisions than to seek God to help us make our decisions. Let's say that again. We, we'd rather make whatever decisions we want to, and then when they get negative, they get bad, we get caught up in whatever, we want to come to God and ask him to forgive us, and God just fix it, God change it, God, you know, the devil's asking me, and God's like, no, 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 you just made stupid decisions. And so maybe if we went to God on the front end instead of the back end, we would make better decisions with our lives. And so I would say, seek God and his wisdom. 
James 1.5 says this way. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to, generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God is all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful, omnipresent. God knows exactly point A to point B. He is the author and finisher of your faith. He knows exactly how to get you from point A to point B. You can trust him with every decision between point A and point B. Like he has more than enough wisdom to help you get there. The thing he's saying, if you lack wisdom, ask him for it. He doesn't throw it at you. You have to ask him for the wisdom. And so I'd rather ask him for the wisdom on the front end than ask him for the forgiveness on the back end. And, it, and it's simply easy. Like God has wisdom in his word. If you, if you said, I need wisdom, if you're a business owner, if you're a parent, Proverbs, if you read a proverb a day, it will keep the bell bondsman away, I promise you. Proverbs is full of wisdom on how to handle marriage and family and finances and business and culture and politics. Everything is in there. And it was written almost 3,000 years ago, and yet it's still relevant today. It's God just spewing wisdom out, yet people don't receive it. There, there's a friend of mine, he, he works with a guy that's actually the mentor to Dave Ramsey. Big real estate guy, financial guy. He's the one that's mentored Dave. Great guy. He doesn't make a decision without reading the book of Proverbs. His life, his business is built on the book of Proverbs. So much so that my friend and him were in a business meeting about buying real estate for a church. And they're sitting at the table, great business deal. This guy winks for some reason, just winks during the deal. Etzel gets up, leaves, and Dave's like, where, where are you going? He said, I'm not doing this deal. Dave's like, it's a great deal. He said, no, he winked. They said, everybody winks. He said, no, Proverbs 10, 10 says, don't trust a man who winks. They said he may have had something in his eye. He said, we're leaving. And he's been extremely successful. Why? There's wisdom in God's word and there's wisdom with God. If you seek him, he'll give it to you. But number four, after you've sought God's wisdom, remember decision-making is a team sport. No one is wise enough or smart enough or experienced enough to make a decision on their own. The bigger the decision, the more people you need to involve in your decision making. It is a team sport. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance and people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Seeking counsel is not being weak, it's being strong. Like there is nothing wrong with asking other people, what would you do in this situation? I would say the more responsibility you have, the more counselors or advisors you should have. What happens though is you gotta pick the right counselors or advisors. The problem with age is when you're young, all your counselors or advisors are the same dumb, stupid, immature age that we are. And so they're telling you, oh man, that sounds great. You should do that. Knowing they don't know, they don't know what the... Re the consequence is going to be. So you need to pick people that you want to use as counselors, advisors who have been where you want to be. And I heard somebody say this years ago, and I've tried to use this to the best of my ability is you need your own personal board of directors. Touch your neighbor, say board of directors. Do you realize every corporation in America has their own board of directors? The greatest CEOs, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, 
all these amazing, huge CEO leaders, they all have board of directors for guidance and counselor. They realize the decisions they make are so big, they need other people's inputs and perspectives to help them know how these decisions will impact everything around them. So if a corporation, which is temporary, which comes and goes, we've seen them come, we've seen them go, we've seen them explode, we've seen them go bankrupt, we've seen them come and go. If they take it that seriously, why should you not take it as seriously when your life is eternal? When your life has much more value to it than any 500 corporation. If they have counselors and advisors, you need, you need your own personal board of directors to help you make the biggest life decisions you face. They need to be people that are ahead of you, not behind you. People that, that you see, I want to be where they are. I want to be like them. That you find, and I would say you need a spiritual board of director. Somebody who can help you this down the road. Some of mine, they've, different seasons have different people. But John Barry, I've talked about, he was a Jesus movement hippie. Still got a little afro, white guy with afro that'll creep you out. And I'd sit with him. He introduced me to Watchman Nee, to Madame Guyon to A.W. Tozer, all my favorite authors are people he introduced me to. And we'd sit over coffee and just politic and, and talk theology, talk this, and he helped guide me through things with family and through spirituality and through prayer and all these. He was a board of directors. He helped me make decisions spiritually. Financially, there's people in my life that I go to for financial decisions because I didn't grow up learning about money. I don't know how to handle money. So I need people who have been where I want to be to show me and help guide me to where I want to be at. Family, there's people you need in your life to help you know how to be a father, be a mother, to be a mother with kids that are teenagers, to be a father of kids that are out of the house. Years ago, there's a good friend of ours, Ephraim Barrero. He raised two amazing, beautiful girls. I said, man, I just want to take you to lunch. Took Ephraim to lunch. I said, just tell me how you did it. How did you raise your girls? I want to, I want to write down everything you say. He began to tell me, he said, the fact that you're asking you're going to be fine. Because the number one job of dad is to try to be better every single day. He's been a, a family, a parental advisor to me. Maybe you need a career advisor, somebody at work that can help guide you through your career path. You need people that can help you make decisions. At this church, we have elders to help us make decisions in the bigger picture. Only arrogant, narcissistic people make decisions by themselves. And they always end up with the consequences of being arrogant, narcissistic people. But godly people share the workload and involve other people. Number five, never allow your emotions to overpower your faith. Never allow your emotions to overpower your faith. You can make a predetermined decision, but if your emotions are stronger than your faith, you will be led by your emotions, not by faith. This is detrimental. We see that the younger people are, it seems to be the more emotional they are and they make decisions based on what it feels like and what everybody else says it feels like and the emotions start getting drawn, the emotions start pulling. And I'm here to tell you, if you make the decision today, your faith will overpower your emotions. But if you delay the decision till you need it, your emotions will overpower your faith. I remember years ago, we had a dog named Maddox who was a great dog. I took him to the vet, and the vet, we walk in, and he says, you know, certain doctors are just weirdos. And this guy says, you know, I've learned a lot about leadership. I, he didn't even introduce, introduce himself. He said, and dogs are pack animals, and you can tell if a person is a leader or not by the way they walk in with a dog. You can tell if the dog is a leader or the person is a leader. I was thinking, I think he just judged me. 
I'm like, I'm the leader. I'm telling my, no, you stop right now. Don't make me look bad. And he begins talking about all this stuff. He says, it's not just about what you do. It's about who you are. If you're going to allow the animal, you're going to train the animal to follow you or the animal's going to train you to follow it. You've seen it when you walk a dog. Some dogs are just pulling you down the road. Some dogs are supposed to stay right by your side. And what happens is if you don't train that dog, it'll run through your house. It tears everything else up. It leads you on walks. And the dog dictates your life and your stress. But if you learn to train the dog, the dog adds the value to your life. Emotions are the same way. If you don't train your emotions, your emotions will lead you down the paths that are away from where God wants you to be. If you don't train your emotions, they'll tear your house up and cause stress in your life. But if you learn to train your emotions, they will add value to your life. They won't take you away from the values of your life. And so what happens is emotions come and go. They're going to come, they're going to go. Emotions come, they're going to go. You can't choose whether they come or not but you can choose which emotions you're going to ride on. And I'm here to tell you, if your emotions are stronger than your faith, you'll always lead a life that cycles from blessing to curse, blessings to curse, blessing to unforgiveness, blessing to repent, all these things. Why? Because emotions are cyclical. Faith is steady. Do not allow your emotions to overpower your faith. And last but not least, walk by faith by living out the 80% principle. Walk by faith by living out the 80% principle. You say, what is that? It is this, that I personally believe you will never be more than 80% sure in any decision you make. You say, even if, even if God said it, even when God says it, I've still got 20% of like, oh, like, it could do this, it could do that. And you start thinking, so the 80%, if I get to 80%, I'm pretty confident. You say, well, that sounds so much lack of faith. Really? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they went in the fire furnace, says, it's okay, we'll go in because our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, they said, I'm 80% sure he's going to save me. But there's this 20% where I'm like, whew. I'm still going to serve him. Even See, they made a predetermined decision. I'm going to serve God, whether I'm blessing or cursing. They thought God was going to, they're 80% confident he's going to show up, but there's this 20% window. See, what's that 20% window? 80% can be flesh. That 20% is all faith. If you are 100% sure in a decision, it would not be faith. But if it's 80%, I'm 80% confident. That 20% is where my faith comes in to trust God that he's leading me into the unknown. And I want to tell you, you will kill yourself with anxiety and stress trying to get to the 100% mark. You will delay the steps of obedience waiting for 100% confidence. You will try to be a perfectionist. You'll be a legalist. I'm here to tell you, the greatest men of God and men of faith were never 100% sure. They may lie to you from the pulpit and tell you, I'm 100% sure. No, they were 80%. And the other 20% they placed in the hands of a loving God. I'm here to tell you, every decision, whether it's what college you're going to go to, whether it's what career you're going to start, if you're at 80% confidence, pull the trigger, take the step, and let God lead you by faith. But here's the question. What decisions do you need to make today that will determine who you become tomorrow? What decisions have you been delaying? Or what predetermined decisions do you need to make 
because you are just terrible at making certain decisions. Because you delay them and then once you get into the decision, you always make the wrong decision. I wanna tell you, if you make the decision today, you don't have to worry about making the wrong decision tomorrow. Two, maybe some of you, you've been living that butterfly effect. You made some decisions years ago. Maybe it was a, a marriage that turned into a divorce and you've been living in this butterfly effect, how it's affected your life. Maybe it was, you, you lived your life outside of God's will and you made decisions that are still impacting you with consequences today. The beautiful thing about the grace of God is this, that even if the ripple effects are still impacting you today, the grace of God can stop the waves and create a new journey and a new destiny for you. He puts a new butterfly to flap the butterfly wings of grace. It's sort of letting God's favor flap through your life, through your soul, through your mind, through your spirit, through your body, through your family, through your relationships, through your career. And all of a sudden, what started with a negative effect has now become a positive as you trusted God. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is just one question. Maybe your life has felt like the boat that's getting rocked by the waves of your decisions. You're getting tossed to and fro, up and down, over and around, and just life seems to be rippling out of control. And yeah, maybe it's your fault. Maybe you made decisions you knew were wrong, but you made them anyway, and you're living out of those waves right now. But you said, you know, I need God to stop the madness all around me, maybe even inside of me. And I need a new ripple effect that instead of driving me away from God's goodness, that pulls me into his goodness. I need a new butterfly effect that will begin to, to draw the grace of God through my life and to take me where God wants me to be. We call that salvation. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, you're no longer the old person, you're a new creation in Christ. So if that's me, I'm not gonna have you stand up or come forward today, but in just a second, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand just so I can see you, can I, I can pray with you. So that's me. I need a new start, a new beginning. I need the grace of God to be that new butterfly effect in my life. That's you. Just slip your hand up real quick, right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down after you raise them. I'm going to pray for you in just, a, in just a few seconds. But after I'm done, if you would do me a favor, we believe this is the beginning of your journey, not the end. And we want to help you in that journey the best way we possibly can. And if, so if you would stop by a connection point in the lobby, just say, hey, I prayed with Pastor. They have a free gift. Just tell you thank you to help you. And if you need anything, there's information there. You could reach out to us. We want to help you the best we can. But Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for all these people that recognize the waves of their consequences. Standing here just like Joshua. Choose today. Father, choosing today to serve you. So, Father, I pray that you stop the waves of consequences that have been coming. I pray for forgiveness to reign in the lives. Father, as they confess you, as they repent of their past sins, their past rebellion, I pray for the forgiveness of God and the newness of Christ to reign in their lives. I plead the blood over their minds, over their souls, over their spirits, over their bodies. I pray for healing internal and external. And, Father, I pray from this day forward, they live by grace, through grace, and for grace every step of the way in Jesus' name and all God's people said.